0: So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, turns out dogs are more interesting than I thought they were. No, they're Oh, oh! Welcome to Leaves of Glen. Uh, here, where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to continue reading from David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, a novel he published in... Uh, 1850, and is widely considered his most popular work. He's born the 7th of February, 1812, and he died the 9th of June, 1870. You want to hear some fun facts? Sure you do, his name might have been all about the devil. And after last episode, not surprising, because he was such a jerk to his wife, uh, Shakespeare was the first person to ever use, what the Dickens, in his fiction work, uh, The Merry Wives of Windsor. This phrase was used as a euphemism for conjuring the devil. Another author, John Bowen, further explained in his book, Other Dickens, Pickwick to Chuzzlewit. Uh, The name Dickens was used as a substitute for the devil. It could be for this reason that in his early writing career, Dickens used Boz as his pen name. I guess Boz is also related to the devil. How many devil-related names was Dickens using? Uh, He did not want to be compared or seen as the devil after the public became familiar with his writing, so he switched his given name. Uh, Whatever. So he's high on himself. He thinks he's a really cool guy. Recap the previous chapter. David continues to do well in school and develops a bunch of romances with a bunch of women. Uh, One of them who's like 30 years old Uh, because he's growing up Uh, and so is Agnes. David shares his romantic troubles with Agnes uh, and she teases him about it. Uh, David recounts two crushes uh, in particular. One is a local schoolgirl who he makes out with in a closet, uh, and she returns his affection. But then she uh, ghosts him, which you can only do uh, by either never being around or acting like he's not there when you are around. You didn't have texting back then. The other is a much older woman who's 30 and flirts with David, but then marries another uh, older man. Well, I went through all that a lot faster than I wanted to. So now you and I are just stuck here in the drawing room, staring at each other. Maybe you should tell me what's been going on in your life. Why do I have to fill the gaps? Maybe I don't want to talk about my diet and how it's going. Maybe I don't want to talk about fluctuating weight or eating things that are uh, low caloric density. Yeah, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think I, I don't like to eat vegetables because it makes me poop a lot? Why don't you bring up something? Even this bit I'm doing right now isn't filling enough of the gaps. Uh, maybe instead, I'll uh, tell a Twitter story, since I've decided that I want to tackle uh, letting people know about this podcast, because uh, I basically just didn't before so I get more involved in the Twitter community of podcasters, and they're all very nice. And uh, I've learned about some new shows that are regulars now that I listen to all the time. And uh, everyone's pretty helpful and pretty nice. Uh, and then one who never really chats with people a whole heck of a lot uh, suddenly reaches out to me in a, in a DM and says, hey, how's it going? And this is when I was recording the last podcast. And so I waited a while because I'm like, ah. Oh, That's a weird way. He was going to ask for something. Like, hey, why don't you mention me on your podcast? One of those kind of deals. But, uh, so I waited a while, finished my show, and I wrote back, pretty good, how about you? And he wrote back, uh, hanging in there. And that was the end of the conversation. I have no idea what happened. I was expecting a dick pic or something. It was going to happen. I was just terrified, waiting. What's happening? What's going to, what's the next shoe going to drop? But now nothing happened, uh, and that's the last I've heard from that person. So, Twitter's weird. I've decided I'm going to take this stuff one step at a time. First, I'm just going to get really used to how to do uh, the promotional stuff on Twitter, and then I can calm down and not post so much and just be a normal person. Then, next one, Instagram. I'm going to try and tackle that. I refuse to open up uh, a Facebook account, so I think it just stops after Instagram. But that's, uh, that's my thing. If Twitter can have weird... Uh, interactions like that i'm terrified of instagram oh 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 thank god that was the worst one yet but with that uh why don't we dive in to uh the next chapter of david copperfield Chapter 19. I look about me and make a discovery. I am doubtful whether I was at heart glad or sorry when my school days drew to an end and the time came for my leaving Dr. Strong's. I have been very happy there. Wait, how, how many years have passed? How old is he now? Ugh. I had a, a great attachment for the doctor and I was eminent and distinguished in that little world. For these reasons... I was sorry to go, but for other reasons, unsubstantial enough, I was glad. Misty ideas of being a young man at my own disposal, of the importance attaching to a young man at his own disposal, of the wonderful things to be seen and done by that magnificent animal. What? (laughs) Oh, I should start referring to myself as a magnificent animal and the wonderful effects he could not fail to make upon society lured me away. So powerful were these visionary considerations in my boyish mind that I seem, according to my present way of thinking, to have left school without natural regret. The separation has not made the impression upon me that other separations have. I I try in vain to recall how I felt about it and what its circumstances were, but it is not momentous in my recollection. I suppose the opening prospect confused me. I know that my juvenile experiences went for uh, little or nothing then, and that life was more like a great fairy story, which is just about to begin to read, than anything else. My aunt and I had held many grave deliberations on the calling to which I should be devoted. For a a year or more, I had endeavored to find a satisfactory answer to that oft repeated question, What would I like to be? but I had no particular liking uh, that I could discover for anything. If I could have been inspired with the knowledge of the science of navigation, taken the command of a fast-sailing expedition, and gone round on a triumphant voyage of discovery, I think I might have considered myself completely suited. But in the absence of any such miraculous provision, my desire was to apply myself to some pursuit that would not lie too heavily upon her purse and to do my duty in it, whatever it might be. Mr. Uh, Mister Dick uh, had regularly assisted at our councils with a meditative and sage demeanor. He never made a suggestion but once, and on that occasion, I don't know what put it into his head, he suddenly proposed that I should be a, a Brazier. What's that? I mean, I know it's an adult website. Let's find out. A portable heater consisting of a pan or a stand holding lighted coals. A barbecue. So that gives that porn website a whole new perspective. My aunt received this proposal to very ungraciously that he never ventured on a second, but ever afterwards confined himself to looking watchfully at her uh, for suggestions and rattling his money. Trot! I tell you what, my dear, said my aunt, one morning in the Christmas season when I left school— as this uh knotty point is still unsettled, and as we uh, must not make a mistake in our decision, if we can help it, I think we had better take a little uh breathing time in the meanwhile, if you must try to look at it from a new point of view and uh, not as a uh, a schoolboy uh, I will aunt it has occurred to me, pursued my aunt. Uh, "'That little change in a glimpse of life out of doors "'may be useful in helping you to know your own mind "'and uh, form a, a cooler judgment. "'Suppose uh, you were to go down "'into the old part of the country again, uh, for instance, "'and see that, that out-of-the-way woman "'with the savagest of names,' said my aunt, "'rubbing her nose, for she could never thoroughly forgive Peggy "'for her being so called. "'Of all things in the world, aunt, "'I should like it best.' "'Well,' said my aunt, "'that's lucky, for I should like it too. "'But it's natural and rational that you should like it, "'and I am very well persuaded that whatever you do, trot, "'will always be natural and rational.' Yeah, "'I hope so, aunt. Your sister, uh, Betsy Trotwood,' said my aunt, uh, "'Betsy Trotwood, who doesn't exist, He never had a sister, "'would have been as natural and rational a girl as ever bred. You'll, "'You'll be worthy of her, won't you?' "'I hope I shall be worthy of you, aunt. "'That'll be enough for me.' "'Well, good for him. "'He's not going to play into this fake sister thing. "'It's a mercy that poor dear baby "'of a mother of yours didn't live,' "'said my aunt, looking at me approvingly. (laughs) "'Oh, I'm glad people don't bring up my mother's death "'randomly during conversations. "'Or she'd have been so vain of her boy by this time "'that her soft little head would have been completely turned "'if there was anything of it left to turn. "'Oh, man.' Eh yeah. my aunt always excused any weakness of her own in my behalf by transferring it in this way to my poor mother. Bless me, Trotwood. How you do remind me of her Ugh pleasantly I hope Aunt said i he's as like her eh Dick said my aunt emphatically, he's as like her. "'as she was that afternoon before she began to fret. "'Bless my heart, he's as like her "'as he can look at me out of uh, his two eyes.' "Uh, uh, "'Is he indeed?' said Mr. Dick. "'And he's like David, too,' said my aunt decisively. "'He is very like David,' said Mr. Dick. "'But what I want you to be trot,' resumed my aunt, "'I don't mean uh, physically, (laughs) but morally.' You are very well physically gross, is a firm fellow gross, a fine firm fellow gross, with a will of your own, with resolution, said my aunt, shaking her cap at me, and clenching her hand, with determination, with character trot, with strength of character that is not to be influenced, except on any good reason, by anybody or anything, that is what I want you to be, that is what your father and mother might both have been, heaven knows, had the been better for it. I intimated that I hoped I should be what she described, that you may begin in a small way to have a reliance upon yourself and to act for yourself, said my aunt. I shall send you once upon your trip alone. I did think once of Mr. Dick going along with you, but on second thoughts, I shall keep him to take care of me. Mr. Dick, for a moment, "'Looked a little disappointed, till the honor and dignity of having to take care of the most wonderful woman in the world restored the sunshine to his face. "'Besides,' says my aunt, "'is the memorial.' "'Oh, certainly,' said Mr. Dick in a hurry. "'I intend, Trotwood, to get that done immediately. It really must be done immediately. "'And then it will go in, you know. "'And then,' said Mr. Dick, after checking himself and pausing a long time, "'there'll be a pretty kettle of fish.' In pursuance of my aunt's kind scheme, I was shortly afterwards fitted out with a handsome purse of money and a portmanteau. Now, well, let's look up what a portmanteau is. I'm sure it's some sort of uh, dresser, a large trunk or suitcase. Well, answered that, and tenderly dismissed upon my expedition. At parting, my aunt gave me some good advice and a good many kisses and said well now the many kisses all the talk of his body that she was just doing has a whole different tone to it and said that as her object that i should look about me and should think a little she should recommend me to stay a few days in london if i liked it either on my way down to suffolk or coming back in a word i was at liberty to do what i would for 3 weeks or a, or, or or a month no other conditions were imposed upon my freedom than the before-mentioned thinking and looking about me, and a pledge to write three times a week and faithfully report myself. I went to Canterbury first, that I might take leave of Agnes, Mr. Wickfield, in my old room, in whose house I had not yet relinquished, and also of the good doctor. Agnes was very glad to see me, It told me that the house had not been like itself since I had left it. Oh, I'm sure I'm not like myself when I'm away, said I. I seem to want my right hand when I miss you. What? What is that? Please don't let that mean what I think it means. He, there's been a couple references to him getting all worked up when he's by himself. When I miss you, though, it's not uh, saying much. There's no head in my right hand and no heart. Everyone who knows you consults with you and is guided by you, Agnes. Everyone who uh, knows me... "'Spoils me, I believe,' she answered, smiling. Uh, "'No, it's because you are like no one else. "'You are so good and so sweet-tempered. "'You have such a, a, a gentle nature, and you're always right.' "'Oh, you talk,' said Agnes, breaking into a pleasant laugh. as <laughs> "'She sat at the work. "'As if I were the late Miss Larkins. "'Come! It is not fair to abuse my confidence,' I answered, "'reddening at the recollection of my blue enslaver.' But I shall confide in you just the same, Agnes. I can never grow out of that. Whenever whenever I fall into trouble eh, or or fall in love, I shall always tell you, if you'll let me, even when I come to fall in love in earnest. This poor lady might love him, and here he's... Well, let's move on. Why, you have always been in earnest, said Agnes, laughing again. (laughs) Oh... That was a child, or a schoolboy, said I, laughing in my turn. <laughs> but not without being a little shamefaced. Times are altering now, and I suppose I shall be in a little terrible state of earnestness one day or other. My wonder is that you are not in earnest yourself by this time, Agnes. Agnes laughed again and shook her head. Oh, I know you are not, said I, because if you had been, you would have told me, or at least, for I saw a faint blush in her face, you would have let me find it out for myself. But there is no one that I know of who deserves to love you, Agnes, someone of noble character and more worthy altogether than anyone I have ever seen here. I must rise up before I give my consent. In the, in the time to come, I shall have a wary eye on all admirers, and I shall extract a great deal from the successful one, I assure you. I well, we've gone on uh, so far in a mixture of confidential jest and earnest that I had long grown naturally out of our familiar relations, uh, began as mere children, but now Agnes, suddenly lifting up her eyes to mine and speaking in a different manner, said, Charwood, uh, uh, tra- there is something I want to ask you, and that I may not have another opportunity of asking for a long time, perhaps, something I would ask, I think, of uh, no one else. Have you observed... Any gradual alteration in Papa? Oh, I had observed it, and had often wondered whether she had to, and I must have shown as much now and in my face, for my eyes were a moment cast down, and I saw tears in them. Uh, tell me what it is, she said in a low voice. I think I shall be quite plain, Agnes, liking him so much. Yes, she said. I think he does himself no good by the habit that has increased upon him since I first came here. He is... "'often very nervous, or I I fancy so.' "'Oh, it's not a fancy,' said Agnes, shaking her head. "'His hand trembles, his speech is not plain, and his eyes look wild. "'I have remarked at those times, and when he is least like himself, "'it is most certain to be wanted on some business.' "'By Uriah,' said Agnes. "'Yes, and the sense of being unfit for it, "'or of not having uh, understood it, "'or of having shown his condition in spite of himself, "'seems to make him so uneasy that next day he is worse.' And the next day, worse. And so he becomes jaded and haggard. Do not be alarmed uh, by what I say, Agnes. But in this state I saw him, only the other evening, lay down his head upon his desk and, and shed tears like a child. Her hand passed softly before my lips while I was yet speaking. This is a really dramatic interaction. And in a moment she had met her father at the door of the room and was hanging on his shoulder. The expression of her face, as they both looked toward me, I felt to be very touching. There was such deep fondness for them, and gratitude to them, for all his love and care, and her beautiful look, and there was such fervent appeal uh, to me to deal tenderly by him, even in my inmost thoughts, and to let no harsh construction find any place amongst them. She was at once so proud of him, and devoted to him, yet so compassionate and sorry, and so uh, uh, relying upon me uh, to be so too. And nothing she could have said could have expressed more to me or moved me more. We went to drink tea at the doctor's. Uh, we went there at the usual hour and round the sturdy fireside, found the doctor and, uh, and his young wife uh, and her mother. Uh, the doctor, who made as much of my going away as if I were going to, oh, I don't know, China, received me as an honored guest. "'They called for a, a log of wood to be thrown on the fire, that he might see the face of his old pupil reddening in the blaze. Ah, I should not uh, see many more new faces in trywoodstead uh, Wickfield said the doctor, warming his hands. I am getting lazy and want ease. I shall relinquish all my young people in another six months and uh, lead a quieter life. Well, where are all those kids going to go? You have said so uh, any time these ten years, Doctor Mr. Wickfield answered. "'But now I mean to do it,' returned the doctor. "'My first master will succeed me, and I am in earnest at least. "'So you'll soon have to arrange our contacts, "'and to bind us up firmly to them like a couple of knaves.' "'Eh, and to take care,' said Mr. Wickfield, "'and that you're not imposed on, eh, "'as you certainly would be in any contract you should make for yourself. "'Well, I am ready. "'There are worse tasks than that in my calling.' Well, I shall have nothing to think of then, said the doctor with a smile, but my dictionary. And this other contract bargain, Annie. As Mr. Wickfield glanced toward her sitting at the tea table by Agnes, she seemed to me to avoid his look with such unwonted hesitation and timidity that his attention became fixed upon her as if, uh, as if uh, something were suggested uh, to his thoughts. There was a post come in from, uh, India, I observe," he said, after a short silence. By the by, and letters from Mr. Jack Malden, said the doctor. Indeed. Poor dear Jack, said Mrs. Markleham, shaking her head. Uh, That trying climate, like living, they tell me, on a, on a sand heap, underneath a, a burning glass. He looked strong, but he wasn't, my dear doctor, it was his spirit, not his constitution, that he ventured on so boldly. Eh, Andy, my dear, I am sure you must perfectly recollect that your cousin never was strong. Now, this is all very insulting to a person. <laughs> not, thank God he's not in the room. Not what can be called robust, you know, said Mrs. Markleham, with emphasis and looking round upon us generally, from the time when my daughter and himself were children together and walking about arm in arm the live-long day. "'Annie, thus addressed, made no reply. "'Do I gather from what you say, ma'am, "'that Mr. Malden is ill?' asked Mr. Wickfield. "'Ill?' replied the old soldier. "'My dear sir, he's all sorts of things.' Eh, "'Except well,' said Mr. Wickfield. "'Except well indeed,' said the old soldier. "'He has had dreadful strokes of the sun, no doubt, "'and uh, jungle fevers and ogs.' And A-G-U-E-S. Well, look at that one up. A goo. Oh, there you go. Malaria. Okay. And a goo. And every kind of thing you can mention. As to his liver, said the old soldier resignedly. I can't speak. I don't know what's happening to me. Resignedly. That, of course, he gave up altogether when he first went out. Uh, Does he... Say all this, asked Mr. Wickfield. Say, my dear sir, returned Mr. Markleham. Mrs. Markleham, shaking her head and her fan, you know little, my poor Jack Malden, when you ask that question. Say, not he. You might drag him at the heels of four wild horses first. Mama nah, nah, said, Mrs. Strong. Andy, my dear, returned her mother, once and for all, I must really beg that you will not infer with me unless it is to confirm what I say. You know as well as I do that your cousin Malden would be dragged at the heels of any number of wild horses. Why should I, why should I confine myself to four? I uh, won't, in italics, confine myself to four. Eight, 16, Uh uh, two and thirty, rather than say anything calculated to overturn the doctor's plans. Uh, Wickfield's plans, said the doctor, stroking his face and, and looking penitently at his advisor. That is to say, our joint plans for him, I said myself, abroad or at home. And I said, added Mr. Wickfield gravely, abroad, I was the means of sending him abroad. It's my responsibility. Oh, exclamation point. Responsibility, exclamation point, said the old soldier. Everything was done for the best, my dear Wickfield. Everything was done for the kindest and best, we know. But if the dear fellow can't live there, he can't live there. And if he can't live there, he'll die there. Sooner than he'll overturn the doctor's plans. I know him, said the old soldier, fanning himself in a sort of calm, prophetic agony. And I know he'll die there. "'sooner than he'll overturn the doctor's plans. "'Well, well, ma'am,' said the doctor cheerfully, "'I am not bigoted in my plans, and I can overturn them myself. "'I can substitute uh, some other plans. "'If Mr. Jack Malden comes home on account of ill health, "'he must not be allowed to go back, "'and we must endeavor to make some more suitable "'and fortunate provision for him in this country.' Mrs. Markleham was so overcome by his generous speech, which I need not say she had not at all expected or led up to, that she could only tell the doctor uh, it was like himself and go several times through the operation of kissing the sticks of her fan and then tapping her hand with it. That's a weird gesture. After which she gently uh, chid her daughter Annie, poor Annie, for not being more demonstrative when such kindnesses were showed uh, for her sake on her old playfellow. and entertained us with some particulars concerning other deserving members of her family whom it was desirable to set on their deserving legs. All this time, her daughter Annie never once spoke or lifted up her eyes. All this time, Mr. Wickfield had his glance upon her ooh, as she sat by her own daughter's side. "'It appeared to me that he never thought of being observed by anyone, "'but was so intent upon her and upon his own thoughts and connection to her it was, uh, "'that he used to be quite absorbed. "'He now asked uh, what Mr. Jack Malden had actually written in reference to himself "'and to whom he had written. "'Oh, I hear,' said Mrs. Markleham, "'taking a letter from the chimney-piece above the doctor's head.' The dear fellow says to the doctor himself... "Eh, Where is it? Oh, I am sorry to inform you that my health is suffering severely. And that I fear I may be reduced to the necessity of returning home for a time. As the only hope of restoration. That's pretty plain. Poor fellow. His only hope of restoration. But Annie's letter is plainer still. Annie, show me that letter again. "Eh, now, Now, Mama pleaded in a low tone. "'My dear, you absolutely are, on some subjects, "'one of the most ridiculous persons in the world,' "'returned her mother, "'and perhaps the most unnatural "'to the claims of your own family. "'We never should have uh, heard of the letter at all, "'I believe, unless I had asked for it myself. Do "'Do you call that confidence, my love, toward Dr. Strong? "'I'm surprised you ought to know better.' "'The letter was reluctantly produced.' And as I handed it to the old lady, I saw the unwilling hand from which I took it trembled. Now let us see, said Mrs. Markleham, putting her glass to her eye, where the passage is. Uh, the remembrance of old times, my dearest Annie, uh, so forth It's not there. Uh, the amiable old proctor, who is he, dear me, Annie, how allegedly your cousin Malden writes, and how stupid I am. Doctor, of course. Ah, amiable indeed. Here she left off to kiss her fan again and shake it at the doctor. This is weird, who was looking at us in a state of placid satisfaction. Does that mean she's flirting with him or disapproving of him? I don't get what's going on with the kissing and the waving of the thing. Now I have found it. You may not be surprised to hear Annie. No, to be sure, knowing that he never really was strong. What did I say just now? that I have undergone so much in this distant place as to have decided to leave it at all hazards, on sick leave, if I can, on total resignation. And if that is not to be obtained, uh, what I have endured, and do endure here, is insupportable. And but for the promptitude of that best of creatures, said Mrs. Markleham, telegraphing the doctor as before, and refolding the letter, it would be insupportable to me to think of. Well, with that, I'm worked into a lather. Why don't we, uh, why don't we have a good time and go retire into my master bedroom where I can read to you the newest upcoming romance literature from Penguin Random House Books. Ah, there you are. Ah, you look great wearing that... A silky little outfit that you know I love so much. Sorry I took so long. I had to pee. But I'm here now, and I don't want you that way. I want you to wear this dog costume. Now I'm not a furry. It's fine. It's normal for someone to want to make love to another person wearing a dog outfit. It's, uh, it's as vanilla as it comes. As we learn about Lost, Found, and Forever by Victoria Shodd. What do you do when you discover your four-legged best friend might belong to someone else? From the acclaimed author of Who Rescued Who? Oh, God. (laughs) That's totally a cliche for people that get dogs, like rescue dogs. They always go, I don't know who rescued who. That comes with the charming story of a custody battle between two pet parents who would do anything for the dog they both adore. Oh, boy. Justine Becker could not be more in love with her rescue dog, Spencer. Spencer. Now he's her best friend and, quote, colleague, unquote, (laughs) at her dog supply store, Tricks and Biscuits, in upstate New York. When she discovers a heartbreaking social media post trying to locate the dog that looks suspiciously like Spencer, Justine realizes that her beloved pup might actually belong to someone else. Her worst fears are realized when she and Spencer meet up with Brooklyn-based Griffin McCabe, and he wants uh, Spencer back. He claims he is the dog's rightful owner and that he has the paperwork to prove it. But Justine refuses to roll over and let him take Spencer without a fight. It's not easy juggling Spencer's burgeoning new career as a dog actor. What? Where'd that come from? Along with the demands of her life upstate. All while constantly trying to prove she's a better pet parent than Griffin. Uh, Their not-so-friendly competition teeters on the edge of flat-out hate. So when romantic feelings for Griffin catch Justine off guard. She needs to determine if it's all part of his plot to win the pup back or if the guy who was good enough for Spencer might also be good enough for her. That's not how feelings work. Uh, I get it. There's people out there that uh, hold their dog uh, very high regard Uh, and you could potentially have two people that hold their dog in super high regard, though you probably would have kept a better eye on that dog uh, where it wouldn't have been gone for such a long time that this woman is able to keep it as a, a an employee in her store and then have a career of acting based off it. But whatever. I would think that's got to be roughly a year. But uh, but then suddenly they hate each other over the dog. And then if you start to fall in love, which isn't going to happen if you hate each other, uh, to always wonder, is it me or is it just the dog? That's not how things work. But whatever. Victoria Shod wrote this, lost, found, and forever. Uh, and uh, it comes out... March thirtieth, sixteen bucks. So if you want to read something uh, weird, go ahead and buy that. Let's get back to the story. Well, uh, as always, that turned out to be a dud, so let's just uh, uh, dive back into the story. Mr. Wickfield said not one word, though the old lady looked to him as if for his commentary on this intelligence, uh, but sat severely silent with his eyes fixed on the ground. Long after the subject was dismissed and other topics occupied us, he remained so, seldom raising his eyes unless to rest them for a moment, uh, with a, a, a thoughtful frown upon the doctor, or his, uh, or, or his wife, or, uh, or both. The doctor was very fond of music. Yeah. Agnes sang with great sweetness and expression, and so did uh, Mrs. Strong. Oh, that's got to be weird. I can't imagine living in the old days where there's just a piano in the, in the parlor and everyone's sitting around and someone goes, uh, sing a song. And then someone has to awkwardly stand there and not make eye contact and just sing while someone else plays a the piano. They sang together and played duets together. And we had quite a little concert. But I remarked two things. First that although Annie soon recovered her composure and was quite herself, there was a a blank between her and Mr. Wickfield, which separated them wholly from each other. Secondly, that Mr. Wickfield seemed to dislike the intimacy between her and Agnes, and to watch it with uneasiness. And now I must confess the recollection of uh, what I had seen on that night when Mr. Malden went away, first began to return upon me with a meaning it never had, and to trouble me. The innocent beauty of her face was not as innocent to me as it had been. Oh, I mistrusted the natural grace and charm of her manner, and when I looked at Agnes by her side and thought how good and true Agnes was, oh, suspicions arose within me that it was an ill-assorted friendship, She was so happy in it herself, however, that the other was so happy too, and they made the the evening fly away, ah, as if it were but an hour. It closed in an incident, which I well remember. They were taking leave of each other, and Agnes was going to embrace her and kiss her. When Mr. Wickfield stepped between them as if by accident, and drew Agnes quickly away, And when I saw uh, as though all the intervening time had been uh, cancelled, and I was still standing in the doorway on the night of the departure, the expression of that night in the face of Mrs. Strong, as, I, as it confronted his. I cannot say what an impression this made upon me, or how impossible I found it when I thought of her afterwards to separate her from this look, and remembered uh, her face and its innocent loveliness again. It haunted me when I got home. I seemed to have left the doctor's roof with a, with a dark cloud lowering over it. The reverence that I had for this gray head was mingled with commiseration for his faith in those who were treacherous to him and his with his resentment against those who injured him. The impending shadow of a great affection and and a great disgrace that had no distinct form in it yet fell like a stain upon his quiet place where I had worked and played as a boy, and it did it a cruel wrong. I had no pleasure in thinking any more of the grave, old, broad-leaved aloe trees, which remained shut up in themselves a hundred years altogether, and of the trim, smooth grass plot, uh, and the stone urns, and uh, the doctor's walk, and the congenial sound of the cathedral bell hovering above them all. It was as if the tranquil sanctuary of my boyhood had been sacked before my face, and its peace and honor given to, uh, the winds. But morning brought with it my parting from the old house, which Agnes had filled with with her influence, and then occupied my mind sufficiently, I should be there again. Soon, no doubt, I might sleep again, perhaps often, in my old room. But the days of my inhabiting there were gone, and the old time was past. I was heavier at heart when I packed up such of my books and clothes and still remained there to be uh, sent to Dover. Uh, then I, I cared to show to Uriah Heep, who was so officious to help me, that I uncharitably brought them. Uh, brought him mighty glad that I was going. Uh, I got away from Agnes and her father somehow with an indifferent show of being very manly and took my seat upon the box of the London coach. I was so softened and uh, forgiving, going through the town that I had half a mind to nod to my old enemy, the butcher, and, and throw him five shillings for to drink. But he looked such a, a very uh, obdurate butcher. I'm not going to look it up. As he stood scraping the great block in the shop, and moreover, his appearance was so little improved by the loss of a front tooth, uh, which I had knocked out, uh, that I thought it best to make no advances. The main object up, what are you talking about? That'd be the coolest thing in the world. You're going off to do great things, and he's still going to be a butcher, and you throw him a couple shillings, because you're all money now. The main object of my mind, I remember, uh, when we got fairly on the road, was to appear as, as old as possible to the coachman and to, a, ex, to speak extremely gruff. The latter point I achieved at great personal inconvenience, uh, but I stuck to it because I felt it was a grown up sort of thing. Hey, uh, you're going through, sir? said the coachman. Yes. William, I said condescendingly. I knew him, in parentheses. I'm going to London. I should go down into Suffolk afterwards. Hey, uh, shooting, sir, said the coachman. Oh, he knew as well as I did that it was just as likely at that time of year I was going down there wailing. But I felt complimented, too. I don't know, I said, pretending to be undecided, whether I shall uh, take a a shot or not. Uh, Burns is... "'It got uh, very shy, I'm told,' said William. "'So I understand,' said I. "'Is Suffolk uh, your county, sir?' asked William. "'Yes,' I said with some importance. "'Suffolk's my county.' "'I'm told that the dumplings is uh, an uncommon find down there,' said William. "'I was uh, not aware of it myself, "'but I felt it necessary to uphold the institutions of my county.' "'and to evidence of familiarity with them, "'so I shook my head as much as to say, "'I believe you.' "'And the punches,' said William, "'and it's this cattle, a Suffolk punch, "'when he's a good un is worth his weight in gold.' "'What's a? Um, I'm not going to look up punch, "'but I guess it's a different word for cattle. Uh, "'Do you ever breed any Suffolk punches yourself, sir?' N- "'No,' I said, "'not exactly.' "'Here's a gentleman behind me. I'll pound it,' said William, as as has as, bred him by wholesale. The gentleman spoken of was a gentleman with a very unpromising squint, a prominent chin, <laughs> who has an unpromising squint, uh, who had a tall white hat on with a narrow flat brim, and whose close-fitting drab trousers seemed to button all the way up outside his legs, from his boots to his, to his, to his hips.' "'His chin was cocked over the coachman's shoulder "'so near to me that his breath quite tickled the back of my head. "'And as I looked at him, he leered at the leaders with the eye, with "'which he didn't squint uh, in a very knowing manner. "'Ain't you?' asked William. "'Ain't I what?' said the gentleman behind. "Bred them Suffolk punches uh, by wholesale?' "'I should think so,' said the gentleman.' There ain't no sort of orse that I ain't bred. Oh, it's a horse. And no sort of dorg. Oh, that's, I can imagine, his dog. Orses and dorgs is some men's fancy. They're whittles and drink to me, lodging, wife and children, reading, writing, and arithmetic snuff, tobacco, and sleep. Now that ain't the sort of man to see sitting behind a coach box, is it, Those Asked William in my ear as he handed me the reins. I construed this remark into an indication of wish that he should have my place, so I blushingly offered to resign it. Well, if you don't mind, sir, said William, I think it would be more correct. I have always considered this as the first fall I had in my life when I booked my place at the the coach office, I had had box seat, in quotes, written against the entry, and had given the bookkeeper half a crown. I was got up in a a special great coat. I had shawl, expressly to do honor to that distinguished eminence, had glorified myself upon it a good deal, and then had felt that I was a credit to the coach. And here, in the very first stage, I was supplanted by a uh, uh, a, uh, shabby man with a and the squint Who had no other merit Than smelling like livery stables And being able to walk across me More like a fly than a human being While the horses were at a, what a canter A distrust of myself Which has often beset me in my life On, on small occasions When it would have been a better way Was assuredly not stopped in its growth By this little incident outside the Canterbury coach It was uh, in vain to take refuge In gruffness of speech I spoke Oh, from the pit of my stomach for the rest of the journey, but I felt completely extinguished and dreadfully young. It, it was curious and interesting, nevertheless, to be sitting up there behind four horses, well educated, ah, well dressed. And with plenty of money in my pocket, and to look out for the places where I had slept on my weary journey. I had abundant occupation for my thoughts in every conspicuous landmark on the road when I looked down at the trampers whom we passed and saw that well-remembered style of face turned up. I felt as if the tinker's blackened hand were in the bosom of my shirt again. When we clattered through the narrow street of Chatham and I caught a glimpse in passing of the lane where the old monster lived who had bought my jacket, I stretched my neck eagerly to look for the place where I had sat, in the sun and the shade, waiting for my money. When we came, at last, within a stage of London and past the veritable Salem house where Mr. Creakle had laid about him with a heavy hand, I would have given all I had for lawful permission to get down him and uh, eh, thrash him let all the boys out like so many caged sparrows. We went to the Golden Cross at Charing Cross, and then a moldy sort of establishment in a close neighborhood. A waiter showed me in the coffee room, and a chambermaid introduced me to my small bedchamber, chamber, which, which smelled like a, a hackney coach. It shut up like a family vault. Yeah, I was still painfully conscious of my youth, for nobody stood in any awe of me at all. Uh, "'the chambered being utterly indifferent to my opinions on any subject, and the, "'and the waiter being familiar with me and offering advice to my inexperience. "'Well now,' said the waiter, in a tone of confidence, hey, what, would you, "'what would you like for dinner? "'Young gentleman likes poultry in general and have a fowl!' "'I told him, as majestically as I could, "'that I wasn't in the humor mm, uh, uh, for a fowl. Uh, "'Ain't you?' said the waiter.' Young gentleman is generally tired of beef and mutton. Uh, Have a a wheel cutlet. W-E-A-L is a veal cutlet? Well, whatever, let's move on. I assented to this proposal in default to being able to suggest anything else. Burp, Burp. do you care for uh, taters? (laughs) Said the waiter with an insinuating smile and his head uh, on one side. A gentleman generally has been overdosed with taters. I commanded him my deepest voice, to order a veal cutlet, oh, it is veal, and potatoes, and all things fitting, and to inquire at the bar if there were any letters for Trotwood Copperfield Esquire, Ooh, which I knew there were not and couldn't be, but thought it uh, manly uh, to appear uh, to expect. As soon, he soon came back to say that there was none, at which I was much surprised, and began to lay the cloth for my dinner uh, in a box by the fire. While he was so engaged, he asked me what I would take with it, and on my replying, a half a pint of sherry, thought it a favorable opportunity, I am afraid, to extract the measure of wine from the stale leavings at the bottoms of several small decanters. I I have an opinion of, because while I was reading the newspaper, I observed him uh, behind a low wooden partition, which was his private apartment, very busy pouring out a number of those vessels into one, like a like a chemist and a, and a druggist making a prescription. Well, that's sad. He's... The last time we saw this guy, he ordered a bunch of food for David and then ate all of it. And then ordered a bunch of alcohol for David and drank all of it. So now he's reduced to drinking leftovers from people. It's like smoking cigarette butts. Well, I'll move on. When the wine came to, I thought it was flat. And it certainly had more uh, English crumbs in it, what does that mean, than there were to be expected in a foreign wine of anything like a pure state. But I was bashful enough to drink it and say nothing. Uh, Being then, in a pleasant frame of mind, from which I infer that poisoning is not always disagreeable in some stages of the process, I resolved to go to the play. It was Covenant Garden Theater that I chose, and there, from the back of the center box, I saw Julius Caesar. Oh, well, today's the Eyes of March that I'm recording, so how fitting. Yeah, Julius Caesar died today. Isn't that uh, neat? And the new pantomime. To have all these noble Romans alive before me and walking in and out for my entertainment, instead of being uh, the stern taskmasters they had been at school, was almost a, a novel and delightful effect. But the mingled reality and mystery of the whole show, the influence upon me of the poetry, the lights, the music, the the company, the the smooth, stupendous changes of glittering and brilliant scenery, was so dazzling. It opened up such illuminable regions of delight Uh, that when I came out into the rainy street at twelve o'clock at night, I felt as if I had come from the clouds, where I had been been leading a romantic life for ages, to a, a bawling... Splashing, link-lighted, umbrella-struggling, hackney-coach-jostling, pattern-clinging, muddy, miserable world. I had emerged by another door and stood in the street for a little while as if I really were a stranger upon the earth. But the unceremonious pushing and hustling that I received soon recalled me to myself and put me in the road back to the hotel. Whether I went, revolving the glorious vision of all the way there, whether after some porter and oysters I sat revolving, it's still. At past, uh, oh, one o'clock, with my eyes on the coffee-room fire, I was so filled with the play and with the past, for it was, in a manner, like like a shining transparency." "'through which I saw my easier life moving along "'that I don't know when the figure "'of a handsome, well-formed young man "'dressed with a tasteful, easy negligence "'which I have reason to remember very well "'became a a real presence to me. "'But I recollect uh, being conscious of his company "'without having noticed his coming in "'and my still-sitting, musing over the coffee-room fire. "'At last I rose to go to bed.' Much of the relief of the sleepy waiter who had got the fidgets in his legs—who had got the fidgets in his legs—and was twisting them—what?—and hitting them and pushing them through all kinds of contortions in his small pantry. What does that look like? In going toward the door, I passed the person who had come in and saw him plainly. I turned directly, came back, and eh, looked again. He did not know me, but I knew him in a moment. Another time, I might have wanted the confidence or the decision to speak to him and might have put off until the next day and might have lost him. But in the then condition of my mind, where the play was still running high, his former protection of me appeared so deserving of my gratitude and and my old love for him overflowed my breast so freshly and spontaneously that I went up to him at once with a fast-beating heart and said, Steer forth! Oh, crap, really. Won't you speak to me? He looked at me. He keeps running into this loser. He looked at me just as he used to look. Sometimes, but I saw no recognition in his face. You don't remember me, I'm afraid, said I. My God! He suddenly exclaimed. "That's little Copperfield! I grasped him with both hands and could not let him go. For very shame and the fear that it might displease him, I could have held him round the neck and cried. I never, never, never was so glad, said my dear steerforth. I am so overjoyed to see you, and I am rejoiced to see you, too! Exclamation point, he said, shaking my hands heartily. Why, Copperfield, oh boy, uh, don't be overpowered! And yet he was glad, too, I thought, to see how the delight I had, in meeting him, affected me. I brushed away the tears that my utmost resolution had not been able to keep back, and I made a a clumsy laugh of it. We sat down together, side by side. Why, how do you come to be here? said Steerforth, clapping me on the shoulder. I came here by the Canterbury coach today. I have been adopted by an aunt down in that part of the country and have just finished my education. How do you you come to be here, Steerforth? Well... "'I am what they call an Oxford man,' he returned. "'That is to say, I get bored to death down there periodically, "'and I am on my way now to uh, my mother's.' "'You're a devilish, amiable-looking fellow, Copperfield. Uh, "'Just what you used to be, now I look at you, uh, "'not altered in the least.' Oh, "'I knew you immediately,' I said, Uh, "'but you are more easily remembered.' Uh, "'He laughed as he ran his hand "'through his clustering curls of his hair "'and said gaily, "'Yes?' "'I am on an expedition of duty. "'My mother lives a little way out of town, "'and the roads being in a beastly condition, "'at our house, uh, tedious enough, "'I remained here tonight instead of going in. "'I have not been in town a half a dozen hours, "'and those I have been dozing and grumbling away at playing.' Well, "'I've been at the play, too,' said I, "'at the Covenant Garden. "'What a delightful and magnificent entertainment steerforth. "'Steerforth laughed heartily. My dear young Davy, he said, clapping me on the shoulder again. You are a very daisy. Uh, the daisy of the field. Uh, and, and sunrise is not even fresher than you are. I had been at Covenant Garden, too, and there never was a more miserable business. Holla, you sir. <laughs> H-O-L-L-O-A. It's basically pronounced holla. This was addressed to the waiter who had been very uh, attentive to our recognition with his crazy legs, a uh, distance, and now came forward deferentially. Uh, where have you put my friend? Mr. Copperfield, said Steerforth. Be- uh, beg your pardon, sir? Where does he sleep? What's his uh, number? Do you know what I mean? said Steerforth. Uh, well, sir, said the waiter with an apologetic air, uh, Mr. Copperfield is at present in uh, 44, sir. Why doesn't he just ask David right there? He's sitting right next to him. "'What the devil do you mean?' reported Steerforth, "'by putting Mr. Copperfield into a a little loft, over the stable.' Why I see we wasn't aware, sir,' returned the waiter, still apologetically. "'As Mr. Copperfield is always particular, Uh, "'we could give Mr. Copperfield seventy-two, sir, if that be preferred, Uh, next to you, sir.' "'Of course it would be preferred,' said Steerforth, "'and do it at once!' "'The waiter immediately withdrew to make the exchange.' Steerforth, very much amused at my having put into forty-four, laughed again ah, and clapped me on the shoulder again and and invited me to breakfast with him the next morning at ten o'clock, an invitation I was only too proud and happy to accept. It being now pretty late, uh, we took our candles and and went upstairs, where we parted with friendly heartiness at the door, and where I found my new room, a great improvement on my old one, and not being all musty and having an immense uh, four-post post, Bedstead, which was quite a, a little landed estate, here among pillows, enough for six. I soon fell asleep in a blissful condition and dreamed of ancient Rome, steerforth, and friendship. Till the early morning coaches rumbling out of the archway underneath made me dream of thunder and the gods. Oh, well, that's the end of the chapter. Why don't we retire to the, uh, to the smoky room and review what we've read. well, get yourself settled here in the smoking room and, uh, I don't know, light a light a pipe. Did people really smoke in smoking rooms? I guess they probably did. Did they really just have a room for it? Because I remember in the 90s, everyone just smoked in their house all over the place. I used to smoke, and I used to smoke cigarettes while in the bathroom, using the bathroom. I used to even smoke when I was brushing my teeth. i put the cigarette down the edge of the sink, brush my teeth, and then keep smoking just weird. But back then, they had a whole room for it. Just made it a whole thing. <clears throat> well, let's recap the chapter. David finishes school, and he's trying to figure out what he wants to do for a job. His aunt suggests to go visit Peggy at Yarmouth uh, to clear his head, do some research. Uh, before he sets out for London, he goes to say goodbye to all his friends in Canterbury. Uh, during his visit to the Wickfields, Agnes confesses that she's worried about her father's drinking problem. Uh, and also that Uriah Heep seems to be having some kind of influence on him. Uh, During his visit to Dr. Strong, the subject of Jack Malden comes up again, and the decision is made to bring him back from India, because he's too weak to uh, handle the climate of India. I didn't think it was supposed to be all that bad. Mr. Wakefield shows his suspicions of Mrs. Strong by trying to keep her uh, from touching or coming close to Agnes, David sets out on his journey to London and tries to act mature. Uh, Then he arrives in London and happens to run into Steerforth while at some kind of coffee bar. I don't know. And they get reacquainted and renew their old friendship. Uh, What's good? Well, that... uh, I guess that David's finally setting out on his own. He's uh, hitting the world. Uh, What sucks that everyone keeps talking down to him. Every time he tries to do anything to impress uh, people around him or just be generally accepted as a human being, uh, they all poop all over him. So the coach ride, he's trying to sound like a man by talking deep in his gut, which is weird. I don't remember ever doing that as a kid. But uh, then, you know, the coach man's kind of just whatever, doesn't seem to care or notice. But the uh, waiter at the same place he was at before who made him buy a bunch of food that he ate all his food, uh, he's still just kind of being a condescending jerk. What do we learn here in this chapter? Uh, Some might say Betsy's suggestion that David take a vacation shows great affection. I think she just wants him out of the house. Uh, You can look at the motivations or you can look at the actions. The actions are every single adult says, Ah, you're great. Do something for me. And if you don't do something for me, then get out. And that's kind of what Miss Betsy's doing. She's like, Yeah, 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 yeah. You're in my house. I I let you be here. Now go on. Get As David leaves, there are many hints of negative things to come. Uh, First, for Mr. Wickfield, because of his drinking. and Second, uh, Dr. Mrs. Strong, because of the suspicions. uh, Hovering over Mrs. Strong and Malden. Uh, David's reunion with Steelforth is gross, weird. Steelforth was a jerk that took advantage of a young kid, and then this kid idolized him or coveted him. I have no idea. The whole book is full of coincidences. Basically, uh, according to this book, England is not big at all. England is the tiniest place on Earth. You meet one person in England, and uh, you can literally travel to the other end of England, and you'll just run into them again. just keeps happening. The immediate reconnection of their former friendship shows that David is extremely vulnerable to strong personalities. That's going to be his downfall later, I'm sure. Uh, and I see foreshadowing of further trouble uh, because of his strong attachment to leech people. With that, uh, thanks for listening. I actually have to go back outside and shovel. We just had a huge snowstorm here on the Ides of March. A snowstorm that happened in Colorado, which I kept reading about and then finally got here. Wasn't nearly as bad, I think. It was only about four inches or so. But enough to make make shoveling annoying. So I'll talk to you uh, next week. at 1 left